You may be seated. Thanks, Jamie. Well, good morning. My name's Robert. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really glad to see all of you. And this is special uh, for a lot of reasons. One, we're kind of getting the fall launched, but also tomorrow will be our one-year birthday as a church. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, every church has a start. And uh, a lot of times, churches that have been around for a while, they don't, they're like, we, we had a start, we don't remember it. Um, but when you're a church plant, it's very vivid in your minds. And uh, so we've seen God at work all, all year, uh, and uh, he has planted a church. And that church has been growing, and we've been seeing more and more new faces and people come and be a part um, of Ridgetop Church. So we got a little cake back there, we'll eat that later with some tacos uh, as well. Hopefully you, you guys will stay around for a little, little taco treat. Um, we um, are, yeah, we're going to start this series in the book of Genesis, and I want to start with a question of why are you here? Not why are you here at the service, but why are you here on planet Earth? Uh, maybe said a different way, what, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? for being here on planet Earth. This is something that all human beings are trying to make sense of, and they usually go to two different places, depending on your culture, to figure out their purpose, to figure out why they're here. So one group of people would be more traditional, communal, we might say, and they go to their families or their society to say, why am I here? And the family says, you're here to plant these crops on our farm, or you're here to be in the military because we're a military family, or lots of different ways that people get the meaning of their existence from the outside. Or if you're more in a modern kind of individualistic culture, you look within, look within yourself to figure out what your strengths are, what your uh, gifts are, and how those play into what you're supposed to do on planet Earth, which usually is something very important and is going to make the world a better place, and you're also going to make a lot of money, right? Um, it's interesting, these things that we have to try to find our strengths, the strength finder test. I know a lot of business places that use this, and it's like me by myself in a room with a test finding out what my strengths are, right? That's an individualistic kind of a culture. Um, uh, many of you are students, some of you are even first years, and a lot of what college is about is figuring out, why am I here? What, what's my purpose? And some of you, you've had your first week of college, and go, go okay? Yeah? Yeah, made it? Okay, okay, you're here? I mean, you've made it through the week. Um, but this is a big part. And for those that are not in college, never been in college, maybe you graduated from college, some of you are still... Sorting that out, right? Why, why, why am I here? What's my purpose for being uh, on planet Earth? We're actually pretty good at this when it comes to other things. Like, this, like why is this here? Not here on the stage, but, right? It's, it's here, it has a purpose, right? To, to, to suck up dust and dirt, and, and it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't come on, Right? But this is, this is its purpose, and we, we know that because we know what it was created for. It was created to be a vacuum cleaner. 
And so it's, it's not hard to figure out that purpose because we can go back to its creation, what it was made for. Might humans be able to go back to their creator, to their creation, to figure out what they're on earth for? I, I think we can, obviously. And this is what the book of Genesis, in large part, is telling us. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Um, and especially these opening chapters that we're going to take a few weeks, actually, to explore and to look at. Um, and so we want to begin, again, with this Genesis 1-1, just the beginning phrase. You know, this is like the first verse in the Bible, not just in the book of Genesis. And we read this first phrase, in the beginning, God. So this book is claiming inside information about what was going on before the creation of the world. That back before there was nothing, at least in terms of what you could hear and see and smell and taste and touch, there actually was something. There was a someone, and that someone is God. Now, this makes sense to some degree. Just like the vacuum cleaner didn't just appear in, out of thin air, this universe didn't appear out of thin air. Right? This vacuum cleaner was created by probably a group of people who brainstormed a concept, drew schematics, created prototypes, and then eventually came up with the Black and Decker, Decker lithium vacuum, right? And so we can look at the universe, a much more incredible creation than the Black and Decker lithium vacuum, and we can say, this has a beginning. This has a creator. And that creator, according to Genesis, is God. Turns out everything we see has a cause. Right? I'm stealing this illustration from uh, Professor Dallas Willard, who's passed away, but he was the department chair at the, in the philosophy department at USC for a long, long, long time. And uh, he described the existence of the universe like the falling of dominoes. And he, he said, you know, no matter how many dominoes that we can trace as we, as we move to the previous one and the previous one and the previous one and the previous one as they're falling... Eventually, we're going to get to the first domino, and then we're going to get to the force that pushed over the first domino, right? There's, there's got to be a cause for the dominoes. There's got to be a cause for the universe, a creator. And Genesis is saying that that's, that, that start is an uncreated creator. He's an uncaused cause that begins this existence of the universe. Um, he describes himself to Moses in this way, as kind of this uncaused cause. So when Moses encounters God at uh, the burning bush in Exodus 3, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people, 
of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. So when Moses is asking, who do I say sent me when I go back to Egypt and tell them that I'm speaking on behalf of God? And God says, tell them I am sent you, or in Hebrew, Yahweh. And part of what he's explaining there, he's saying, I am, I am present. I am present to the past, I am present to the present, I am present to the future. I just am. I am the uncaused cause. I am the uncreated creator. Sometimes this is described as God being self-existent or the aseity of God, which just means of self. We are not of self. We are not self-created. But God is of self. He is the uncaused cause. Um, He knocked over the first domino. So this this is a very basic concept, right? This is something that Christians and Jews and Muslims would agree with that God is eternal, he is self-existent, that he is uncaused, uncreated. But it's a bit of a stretch for many in the modern world. Um, Part of that is because we don't want to consider anything outside of ourselves. We only want to look inside for meaning and purpose. So it's a stretch for us moderns to look out and think about that there might be a creator who's outside ourselves that is the uncaused cause. We, as C.S. Lewis uh, writes about, that we are bent into ourselves, or at the very least bent to the created order. And what Genesis 1-1 is saying, that we need to look outward and upward We need to become unbent and look toward God, our creator. All the answers we're looking for are in God, who was before all things, who is the meaning of everything. Now, this, again, is in that very stark contrast to naturalistic mindset, the idea that uh, nothing exists except for what we can see. It's pretty prominent, or at least it has been in previous decades. But if we adopt that, we are saying that we came from nowhere, that we are going nowhere, and we need to somehow make meaning out of our current existence. I'm going to say that again. That if we are naturalists, that we think all there is is what we can see, then we've come from nowhere, we're going nowhere, And we're trying to make meaning out of our current day laws. That's hard. That's really hard to make meaning out of our current lives if we've come from nowhere and are going nowhere. Genesis is presenting a very different reality. Now, even the way that I'm preaching this sermon may feel a little little bent, right? Talking about us and our questions and what we're going through. But... I think it's consistent with Genesis, like Genesis is answering those questions for us, that even the fact that we have these kinds of thoughts and questions is, in a way, representing the image of God. God has thoughts, God has, takes actions, God speaks words, and we do too. And so even the fact that we are having these kind of big questions about 
our existence and our meaning, whether we believe in God or not. I'm saying that's part of what reveals that we come from God. Now, I want to address an elephant in the room that we're saying that this book, the Bible, contains information about this God that we can know, that we can know uh, for certain, um, that this God has uh, spoken, that this God has superintended a process where the things he said are written down, and that because of that, we can know who he is. We, as his creations, can know about our creator. That's exciting. So what kind of creator is he? Is he angry, aloof, unpredictable? Is he good, loving, beautiful? The next part really does begin, at least, to answer some of those questions about the kind of God that he is, right? Genesis 1-1, again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now we're, we're getting to, to see that this God is a creator, and he has created all things. The ancient readers of Genesis had been trying to figure out the world. They were looking up into the heavens. They were seeing stars and the moon and planets every once in a while, and they were experiencing lunar eclipses and solar eclipses like we are about to in a few weeks. And they're seeing lightning, and they're hearing thunder, and they're trying to figure out, like, what? What is going on? And in large part, they're deifying those things that they're seeing in the heavens and even on the earth. They're seeing power, and they're seeing beauty, and they're thinking, this is God and goddesses, and they're, they're making this kind of um, divine world out of what they experience. And it wasn't too long ago that we would kind of scoff at that. We'd be like, that's silly. can't believe you're making a god out of the sun. I mean, that's just so ridiculous. Um, but we've sort of come full circle on that. And again, we're now deifying the creation. Um, I don't know if you've been to any mountain towns. Uh, you've been to Asheville, North Carolina, or Durango, Colorado. You, you walk down the streets of those places, and you see a lot of very spiritual bookstores. You see people selling crystals. You see people doing palm readings. Um, why? Why are these mountain towns like this? Well, it's because they're experiencing the beauty and the power of the mountains, and they're deifying that experience. Uh, I'm noticing a lot of talk about the universe lately. Even giving the universe a personhood, saying I don't want to put out blank into the universe because the universe is going to give me back blank. That's a deification of the creation. There's a surge in the interest of astrology, trying to decipher and discern meaning and purpose out of the stars, which is exactly what the ancients were trying to do. And Genesis says, there is one God, and that God was here, self-existent, before all things. Before everything that we could hear, see, smell, taste, and touch. There's one 
God, the Creator. And that He created us. He created human beings as part of that universe. We are His creatures. The part of our nature that we can see and the part of our nature that we can't see. Created by God. God bara the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word that you see translated there for created. And it's a special word for God's type of creation. One of the things about God is that He can create out of nothing. The scholars call this ex nihilo, out of nothing. And so He merely speaks and it happens. It comes into existence. When we create something, we start with something, right? If we're going to create a picture, we start with a canvas, we start with paints. We're going to build a house, we start with some wood or some trees and some ore and some steel, and we build from something. God doesn't need anything to start with. He can bring things out of nothing. This makes sense, him being the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator. Now, that's all introduction, okay? This is the part I want you to zero in on, is that this one who is the uncreated creator is one who reveals himself to us, his creations. He does that in a number of ways, but one is through the very creation itself. So this would be the first. The second would be through his word. Sometimes it's taught called natural revelation and special revelation, right? So through his creation and through his word. So creation reveals a creator. We see a beautiful painting. It's just really natural for us to go, who painted that? Who's the artist? We hear an amazing song. Who, who sang that? What band is that? What musician is that? Makes perfect Sense And it's natural to, to look at the universe and go, who did that? Even though sometimes that question feels like it's been beat out of us. <laughs> but it's, it's a natural question to ask. Who made this? Who created this universe? From, from the, the grandness of the universe to the complexity and intricacies of the smallest of things. Who did this? And Genesis is telling us it's, it's God. It's God. That's who made the heavens and the earth. And he's revealing himself through his creation. Scriptures talk about this quite a bit. Uh, here's one place in the Old Testament, Psalm 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So you see the heavens and the earth are proclaiming God's name. You see this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1, he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You see Paul saying, he's been revealing himself to human beings through his creation. I remember one of my most favorite classes at UT was a physiology class. And brilliant, brilliant professor. And 
she would work us through some certain system of the body, and she would be working through all the details on a cellular level and then on a chemical level. I mean, it would be blackboard. I know you don't know, you guys don't know what chalkboard is, but there was a chalkboard, and it was chalkboard after chalkboard after chalkboard. And I don't know if this woman was a, a Christian or not, but she would stand back and look at all the complexity of that, and she would go, Isn't that amazing? And I was a brand new baby Christian sitting on the back row, scared to death. And I'm just back there, I'm just worshiping. It is amazing. It is amazing what God has done. And I I remember driving down 202 when we were living in New England, our first year in New England, our first winter. And I'm, I'm driving up from the valley where we lived, up to a higher elevation. And as I get to the higher elevation, there's snow. And it has just dusted, I mean, every leaf, every blade of grass on the ground. And I literally, my breath was taken away. It was so beautiful. <laughs> I was like, God, this is so amazing. Right? He's, he's revealing himself through his creation. He also reveals himself through human language. This one who's created the universe is a God who speaks. We'll see this in a few verses later. Next week, Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Take a little double take. You go, wait a minute, God said? God said? God's not an impersonal force. He's kind of blindly making the universe? This, this God is, has a personhood and can speak and does so with human language? By the end of Genesis 1, he's not just speaking, he's speaking to human beings. Right? Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, He's not just a God who can't speak. He's a God who speaks to human beings and superintended a process for those words, at least some of those words, to be written down. This is what we have in the Bible. God revealing himself through human language. The Apostle Paul describes the words in Scripture, which just means sacred writings, in this way, 2 Timothy 3.16, first phrase there, all Scripture is breathed out by God. He's saying that this, this, these words that we've been given, they've been inspired by God. They've been superintended by God. Uh, Apostle Peter describes it this way, 2 Peter 1. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, there it is again, sacred writings, comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's a similar kind of idea of, yes, people writing some things down, but, but God inspiring those things, God leading that and superintending that process. So this self-existent God is also a self-revealing God. There's the big idea this morning. A self-existent God who's a self-revealing God. God, revealing himself both through nature but also through human language, spoken and written. But he's revealed himself in a third way as well. 
We can read about this in John 1, 1 through 3. It says, in the beginning, sound familiar? In the beginning? Yeah. Uh, Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The New Testament writer John harkens back to the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, and speaks of the word as synonymous with God, which would have made sense to Jewish readers. God's word is so synonymous with his person and his action. It is him. His word is him. It's not like our word, where we say one thing to another. God never does that. His word, his person, his actions, all synonymous, all one, always doing what he says. So much so, he can literally create by divine fiat, right? He can just say, let there be light, and there's light. His word, his person, his action, all synonymous. And while that makes sense, again, to a Jewish reader, there are a few things in this couple of verses that would have been a little strange. The word that is God is also with God? Wait a minute. What, what are you talking about, John? He seems to be talking about a one true God, but also some distinct persons that are making up the Godhead, the one true God. A few verses later, John makes this statement, John 1.14, and the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God reveals Himself through creation. He reveals Himself through human language. He also reveals Himself in Christ Christ, who is self-existent, who is an uncaused cause, who is an uncreated creator, who is God. God who has taken on human flesh. And John says, we have seen his glory. John's saying, I didn't just see him in the mountains. I didn't, I didn't just read about him in the Bible. I saw him. I saw the one who is God and has become a human being. We see his glory. As Christians, we believe that Jesus was self-existent. He is God and that he was in the beginning before there was anything else and that Jesus, God, created the world. Jesus, the creator, took on human nature and he did that to reveal himself to us. And to die for our sins. But we'll talk about that as we go. Pretty important. This self-existent, self-revealing God is still revealing himself today. We wouldn't be here if we didn't think he was. <laughs> He's still revealing himself today. My hope is that you would come to believe in this God even more than the dirt that you're going to walk on as you go back to the parking lot. It's been an interesting few weeks as we've seen a fire in Maui, we've seen a California earthquake and a hurricane simultaneously, and it's horrible, and it is a reminder 
that even the dirt underneath our feet ought not be trusted in ultimately. That there is one who is before the dirt, and it is in him that we trust ultimately. It's been interesting to, to hear some of the people that are, the Hawaiians that are helping and, and, and making sure people are fed and making sure people are housed. And this is how multiple times as I hear the interviews is that the person who's, who, who's being interviewed, who's helping, uh, is one who has lost a house or lost a business themselves and they're Christians. And it's as if they know that while that loss hurts, there's something greater or someone greater that they're trusting in and relying upon. So much so that they have the strength not only to grieve what they've just lost, but to then turn around and help their other Hawaiians that are there going through the same thing. So this, this is my hope, that, that we would grow in our trust of the one who is before all things. Because those things that we can hear and see and smell and taste and touch, they, they will let us down. They're good things for the most part, and we'll, we'll find that out next week. It's not that the creation's bad. It's not. It's beautiful. It's good. It's given to us, but it's not ultimate. And the one who created those things is ultimate, who existed before the universe began. So as human beings, we're created to center on that God, to serve that God, to worship that God. That's what we're made for. Right? Vacuum cleaners are made to, to suck up little dust bunnies in the corners. But we are made to love and serve and worship the one true God who is before all things. Um, writer A.W. Tozier tells a story of a person that he had bumped into who was lamenting and saying, all I have left is God. And, and Tozer's comment back was, you're like a fish that's saying all you have left is the ocean. He is what we need ultimately. The one true God. Now, all that said, it's true and good that we should be centered on God, serving God, loving God, worshiping God. But our natural bent is not to be Godward. <laughs> because of sin, we are bent. We are not God-centric. We are ego-centric. And in Christ, we can be saved from that. We can be saved from being egocentric, being centered on ourselves and on the creation. Paul writes this in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See what Paul's doing there. He's not saying that the things on earth don't matter. They do. We want to steward the things we've been given well. We want to love the people in our lives well. This stuff matters, but it's not ultimate. He's saying, set your eyes on the things above, on the one true God, and lets us know that the only way that's possible is in Christ. And really, at, at the heart of any sin that we might 
commit against God, and I mean this, any sin is really the refusal to worship the one true God. That's what's at the heart of any kind of sin. Right? And so Paul just gets it to the core of it. He's like, set your eyes on the things above. And so if you've never turned to Christ in faith, to be saved from that egocentricity and to turn to a God-centered life. I want you to do that today. I want you to turn to God in faith. Receive the forgiveness that can only come in Christ and turn from being bent to being outward and upward in worship to God. For those of you that you're already in Christ, this is a good reminder because oftentimes we just default back to our bentness. And we need this coming together again and again and again to hear the word and to behold who God is and to feel our back straighten up and moving out and up to worship the one true God. And the blazing center of, of that one true God is, is the gospel. This is why we come to this table every week over and over and over again. We remember Jesus, the word, the word who had become flesh taking bread, common everyday bread that had come from wheat that grew out of the ground, except for this is gluten-free. Um, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he offered it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The one who is self-existent, the one who is the uncreated creator, had become part of his creation to reveal himself to human beings like us in the same way took the cup and after he blessed it he gave it to them saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin as often as you drink this do this in remembrance of me he lets them know he didn't just show up in human form to reveal god to people although he did and that was very important but he also came to die a death in their place. And by becoming a human, he was qualified to do that, to die a real human death in order for our sins to be paid for and for us to be forgiven and brought into fellowship with God through faith. And that's what we're celebrating here. We're celebrating what Christ has done. We're also celebrating the implications of it, that we are now reconciled to God. We're looking upward and outward. We're also in community with each other. So if you're a Christ follower, we welcome you to the table. If you've never done this with us, the way that it works is we'll, we'll make a line here in the middle, and then I'll, I'll give you a piece of bread. And uh, Jackson, you want to help me with this? Jackson will give you um, the juice, and then you'll go sit down at, in your seat, um, and then at your own pace. You pray, you confess, whatever kind of business that you need to do with God this morning, and then you take it whenever you're ready. And then we'll sing a couple songs, and we'll... We'll send you out. So let me pray, and then we can get started. God, we do. We worship you this morning as our creator, as the one who has always been, always will be, the eternal one true God. We also worship you as the one who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that we get to experience your glory through your revelation as uh, the Son of God in the flesh, 
that we also get to be forgiven through faith and what the Son of God in the flesh did for us at the cross. And so we're grateful, God, for you as both creator but also as the recreator as you've forgiven us and given us this new life in you. So bless this bread, bless the cup, and our time of communion with you and also with each other. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.